The following presentation is brought to you by the Realm Network. Buzz Burbank, news and comment. Trump and the investigation in jeopardy. This is Thursday, December 14th, 2017. Thank you very much for your time and for supporting this independent news through my links for Amazon.com, my other sponsors, and through the PayPal donate button at buzzburbank.com. With another week under our belts, we find both this president and the investigation into his campaign in peril. Republicans are working toward killing the Mueller investigation, even as Trump loses what's left of his political clout after the defeat of Roy Moore in Alabama and while Trump faces sex abuse allegations from more than 20 women. It's all here, but first to your wallet. Your taxes are coming very, very close to changing. The plan backed by Trump and his party is very close to landing on his desk in time for Christmas as promised. The Republicans who control the House and those who control the Senate have agreed on a tax plan that cuts corporate taxes by 14% in the belief it'll create jobs. The wealthy get a 3% tax cut. At first, it might seem that some of us got a tax cut, but most won't notice any change. At first. But that won't last. Over the years, middle and lower class taxes would go up. The corporate tax cuts would be permanent. The plan does away with itemized deductions and cuts the deductions for the state and local taxes you pay. It also, through its swipe at Obamacare, destabilizes the market again and leaves 13 million people without health insurance. The plan punches a $1.5 trillion hole in the nation's budget, which key Republicans hope to fill with cuts in Medicare and Social Security. But those are future battles they're not talking about right now. For now, they're saying the plan will pay for itself through economic growth. Outgoing Fed Chair Janet Yellen says to get the kind of growth the Republicans are predicting would be a challenge. It's a plan that's been protested around the country in towns big and small, in districts red and blue. That's important because as of today, the Republicans still have a delicate majority in the Senate, and there are at least two senators who've said they plan to vote against the plan. And that's why the protests will continue and increase, along with the letters and emails and phone calls, as Republican leaders rush this tax bill to that final vote in the week ahead. The protesters outside congressional offices in Washington and around the country are one of the reasons Republicans are rushing this vote. They know these voices will only get louder. It does not appear that newly elected Alabama Democratic Senator Doug Jones will be seated in time for the vote. Mitch McConnell says Jones will be seated after New Year's Day, presumably after the tax bill vote, despite Democratic objections. Speaking of Janet Yellen, the Federal Reserve Bank raised interest rates by a quarter percent yesterday. It is the third rate hike this year, and each one based on continuing improvements in our economy. The state of the U.S. economy is already strong, surprisingly strong. Unemployment hasn't been this low in 17 years and for another month remains at 4.1%. Even wages have crept up a bit. The stock market continues to set new records. So maybe the very thing we don't need right now is a tax cut aimed at trying to stimulate an already stimulated economy, especially one that adds a trillion dollars or so to the national debt. But jobs and the economy were themes of the Trump campaign. It was to be his legacy. It's a lot of his mission. Economists say Trump has had almost nothing to do with the better employment numbers, but he's likely to take and perhaps even get the credit. 
Job growth began around the arrival of 2009 and reached a peak in 2014 that even today's numbers do not match. The business sector is almost as healthy as it ever was. With profits up, businesses certainly don't need a shot in the arm through permanently lower taxes. Hundreds of people are working diligently, said Treasury Secretary Steve Mnuchin when he was asked why his department hadn't already published the financial details of the Republican tax plan. This week, Treasury finally released a one-page document assuring that the tax plan would pay for itself with the growth it would prompt in the economy, which, as just noted, is growing quite well on its own. But that one-page report also fails to deliver the numbers people had been expecting. The document is jam-packed with hypotheticals, though, a lot of ifs. Senator Elizabeth Warren calls it a bogus report and one with which most economists disagree. Most analyses agree the tax plan benefits the top 20% of wage earners but gradually increases taxes on middle incomes and the poor. The wealthiest 20%, by the way, now owns 90% of the wealth in this country, according to a new academic paper on the subject of the distribution of wealth in the U.S., NYU economist Edward N. Wolf, using government statistics, found that the top 1% of earners, the top 1%, now own 40% of the nation's wealth. The 1%'s piece of the pie didn't grow overnight. It's been expanding since 1962, when the 1% owned just 33% of all wealth. As for the middle class, its wealth has shrunk by half in that same time span. The middle class owned 20% of our wealth in 1962. Now it's 10%. For the poor, things have not changed at all, statistically. The NYU report says the bottom 40% of wage earners have an average debt of nearly $9,000. The countdown is on to see if that tax bill passes or whether angry voters can stop it. The FCC was to vote today on the Republican chairman's plan to kill net neutrality, allowing your ISP to determine what you can and cannot see. But 19 states' attorneys general have demanded the FCC delay the vote because the public comments it got are tainted. New York Attorney General Eric Schneiderman says some 2 million comments came from stolen IDs, including dead people. The AGs say that if the FCC votes today as planned... Its decision will be, quoting their letter, poisoned. The Inspector General of the Education Department says the Trump administration and Education Secretary Betsy DeVos have stopped forgiving the student loans granted for colleges that turned out to be crooked, including Corinthian's chain of schools and the ITT Technical Institute. The Obama administration heard from 46,000 students and forgave 28,000 loans. Since Trump's inauguration, there have been 26,000 claims, and not one has been forgiven. Two were denied, but none have been forgiven. The Inspector General's report recommends the President and his Education Secretary start forgiving some of those loans. In addition to news about our economy, one of the most important stories continues, of course, to be the investigation into whether the Trump campaign helped Russia interfere with the 2016 presidential election. The answers to those questions could help prevent future interference and help protect our rights and freedoms. That's why that investigation is important. The special counsel's investigation, led by Robert S. Mueller III, continues to dig for evidence, and as you will soon hear, it apparently continues to find evidence. 
The investigation is also finding new opposition from Republican lawmakers who have benefited politically or hope to because Trump's in the White House. In fact, the Mueller investigation is, as New York Magazine puts it, in mortal danger. And the website Foreign Policy says this will lead to, quote, an unprecedented constitutional crisis. A growing number of Republicans in Congress are trying to kill that investigation by throwing criticisms and accusations against an investigator they once trusted enthusiastically, special counsel Robert Mueller, who is, by the way, a Republican and a decorated combat veteran of the Marine Corps. They are supported, the Republicans are, in this effort by news outlets owned by Trump supporter Rupert Murdoch, especially Fox News Channel. More about him later. The attacks on Mueller and the FBI agents who assist in this investigation picked up steam just over a week ago when we learned the cost of the first four and a half months of the Mueller investigation totaled $6.7 million. That doesn't in any way compare to the $50 million spent on past independent councils, but it's enough for Republican lawmakers to use to fire up conservative taxpayers. The money covers rent, equipment, transportation, and, of course, the salaries for 17 of the nation's most successful prosecutors. Their four and a half months have been productive. Four former Trump campaign or administration officials have either been charged with crimes or have struck plea deals with Mueller's team. Trump campaign manager Paul Manafort is under house arrest for alleged financial crimes and conspiracy against the United States. Former Trump national security advisor Michael Flynn has, meanwhile, agreed to testify for the prosecution and prior to that, tell everything he knows. We also know that Mueller is investigating whether Trump himself obstructed justice, mainly in the firing of former FBI Director James Comey. The Mueller team has executed at least 15 search warrants and has collected 400,000 pages of documents and three dozen electronic devices. And that's just for the Paul Manafort part of the investigation. But Trump and the Republicans who back him are out to discredit Special Prosecutor Robert Mueller, his investigators, and the FBI for its part in the investigation. They point to the agent who was fired early last summer for sending anti-Trump texts to a co-worker. Mueller's critics say his talent pool is stocked with Clinton supporters, including some who donated to her campaign. Just yesterday, 22 Republicans pressed Deputy Attorney General Rod Rosenstein to select a special prosecutor to investigate bias in the FBI and Justice Department. Trump's recent attack on the FBI inspired its new director, the one chosen by Trump, to fiercely and publicly defend his agents. But Republicans gained new ammunition yesterday when, in a Senate committee hearing, they read aloud text messages between a top FBI counterintelligence agent and his then-lover, a top FBI lawyer. The couple was alarmed at Trump's campaign rhetoric, fearing Trump would politicize the FBI. I'm scared for the organization, wrote Peter Strzok. The couple also griped about Hillary Clinton, Bernie Sanders, and others. But the Trump-related texts are helping Republicans make a case that the FBI is perhaps biased. And they suspect the investigation into Clinton was also biased, and they want a redo. The texts are already being investigated by the Justice Department's Inspector General. FBI regulations do allow agents to express their opinions, quoting the manual, as an individual, privately and publicly, on political subjects and candidates. Strzok has since been removed from the Mueller investigation, and his former lover, the FBI lawyer, left the Justice Department after the election on her own. 
Coworkers say they never noticed any political bias in Strzok's work, but that's not stopping Republicans keen on stopping the Mueller probe. Many conservatives, led by Fox News Channel pundit Sean Hannity, have called for the Mueller investigation to be shut down. Together, critics of the probe are trying to build the political support they'd need to get Mueller fired. And a number of them, including Trump, are asking for more investigations of Hillary Clinton. That's the other thing Republicans want that new special prosecutor to investigate. Clinton, again. The wish they won't likely get granted, Rod Rosenstein told the Judiciary Committee he sees no reason to fire Robert Mueller. And he says no one has asked him to. Meanwhile, Mueller's probe moves forward at full speed. NBC News says Mueller's now focused on possible obstruction of justice by the current president, not just in the Comey matter, but in the handling of the revelations about Trump's former national security advisor, Mike Flynn. On December 29th, Flynn had a phone conversation with Russia's ambassador. On that day, nearly a year ago, Flynn also spoke with close Trump advisor KT McFarland, who was with Trump that day at his Mar-a-Lago estate. On January 14th of this year, Flynn lied to Vice President-elect Mike Pence about having had that conversation. On January 24th, Flynn lied to the FBI about his contacts with Russia's ambassador. Two days later, Acting Attorney General Sally Yates informed the White House that Flynn was likely compromised since the Russians knew that Flynn had lied and could have used that to blackmail him. White House lawyers passed that information along to Trump later that day. And then 18 days went by, 18 days in which the White House knew that Flynn had lied, knew that he had been compromised, and did nothing about it, continued instead to give Flynn access to classified intelligence. And the Mueller investigation is looking into that. Why it took 18 days from the time the Trump administration knew Flynn was a compromised liar until he had cut his access to American secrets and fired him on February 13th. When Trump recently tweeted he'd fired Flynn partly because Flynn had lied to the FBI, it suggested that Trump knew Flynn had been lying. One of Trump's lawyers says that's not what Trump meant, but Trump went on to fire both Sally Yates and James Comey once he had learned of Flynn's lies. The White House won't say how or when the president found out about Flynn's lies, and that's important since it was Trump who did the firing. It's also important that the White House is refusing to answer that question and refusing to say why it won't answer that question. And there's also the question of whether Flynn was instructed to lie about his Russian contacts. Only Flynn can answer that, and he likely already has to avoid prison. Anyone involved in such instructions, including Trump, would be in serious legal jeopardy if that were the case. And we now know Flynn spoke to other Trump advisors who were with Trump in Florida on that same day that Flynn spoke with the Russian ambassador. And in all that, says NBC News, Mueller is apparently building a case against the President of the United States for standing in the way of justice. Trump's legal team and his supporters insist that no president can be charged with obstruction of justice if they're carrying out their constitutional duties. That argument also leads to a conclusion they don't mention, that the president is above the law and immune to it. By that definition, a president could do nearly anything he or she wanted. Most Americans believe Donald Trump has tried to obstruct the Russia investigation. 
57% think so. Only 38% disagree. But then 52% also think Trump's campaign colluded with Russia. The Russians clearly wanted to help the Trump campaign, not just with the thousands of divisive posts on social media, but by hacking and publishing emails stolen from the Clinton campaign. In mid-September of last year, an email sent to Trump, his son, and others in the campaign pointed them to those stolen emails. That was after the Trump Tower meeting in June of 2016 that put Trump Jr., Manafort, and Jared Kushner in the same room with a gaggle of Russians while the senior Trump was elsewhere in the building. And that was the meeting Don Jr. had said he'd love since it included an offer of dirt on Clinton, even if it was from a hostile foreign government. And we now know the Russians continued their effort to connect with the incoming Trump administration during the transition. We now know the FBI took top Trump advisor Hope Hicks to a secured room just after the inauguration to warn her that the people who were trying to reach her repeatedly were not who they said they were, but instead Russian operatives and that she should be extremely cautious of them. There's no evidence at this point that Hicks did anything improper, but we know that Hicks was interviewed repeatedly last week by Mueller's investigators. On Monday, Trump angrily denied a weekend article from the New York Times that cited sources close to him that he's near an active TV four to eight hours a day, even if it's muted, and that he keeps his phone by his side for tweeting about what he sees. Trump is also denying he watches CNN, as the article indicates. Trump did not dispute the article's claim that, quote, before taking office, Mr. Trump told top aides to think of each presidential day as an episode in a television show in which he vanquishes rivals, end quote. Is he well? To many, it was a reasonable question after Trump, who doesn't drink, slurred his words when he announced the U.S. would now recognize Jerusalem as the capital of Israel. Social media speculation went wild with theories ranging from a mild stroke to loose dentures. The next day, when reporters asked about that slurring, Press Secretary Sarah Sanders said it was just a case of dry mouth. But she also revealed that Trump would get a full physical at Walter Reed Medical Center in, quote, the first part of next year. Nearly all presidents have been examined at Walter Reed to make sure officially that they're healthy enough to carry out their duties and what might be done to ensure they remain healthy. And Sanders promises that, as usual, the result of that exam will be released to the public. This is already big news, and it could get a lot bigger. Trump, who questioned Clinton's fitness in the campaign, has bragged about his own health despite a lack of exercise and a love for McDonald's, specifically two quarter pounders, two filet of fish, and a chocolate shake for lunch. Or KFC. He's been photographed with that familiar red and white cardboard bucket. Trump failed to submit to an official exam before the election, relying instead on Trump's personal doctor, who predicted Trump would be, and I quote, the healthiest individual ever elected to the presidency. The doc has since admitted he wrote that report on Trump in under five minutes in the back of a limousine. So citizens will now finally, early next year, be able to see a full and impartial report on the president's health, even if they can't see his taxes. Like Trump's rhetoric, his approval numbers have fallen to a new record low. 
Fewer than one in three of us approve of the job Trump is doing as president. 32% according to the latest Pew Research Center poll. That's down two points from Pew's last survey in October, which itself was down from the poll before that in February. The new poll shows Trump's disapproval rating has risen, that now nearly two-thirds of us, 63%, disapprove of his work. And although his base is faithful and loud, it is shrinking. Trump's support from white voters has fallen 8% so far this year, down to 49%. Support from whites who are evangelical Protestants fell 17%. In recent history, only President Clinton came close to an approval number this low, but even Bill Clinton's number was 16% higher than Trump's. And although Trump's base is faithful and loud, it's also shrinking. Trump's predecessor, after remaining quiet since the election, is increasingly vocal about Trump, even without invoking the man's name. In a speech in Chicago last week, Barack Obama told his audience that Americans must be vigilant in their defense of democracy. Either that, he said, or risk following the path of Nazi Germany in the 1930s. Things can fall apart fairly quickly, warned Obama, if Americans don't, quote, tend to this garden of democracy. Pay attention, said Obama, and vote. Bernie Sanders, meanwhile, says it's still too soon to consider impeaching Trump. There is a process that has to be followed, said Sanders on Meet the Press this week. Sanders said he thinks Mueller's doing a very good job and that if Mueller brings clear evidence of collusion, quote, I think you have grounds for impeachment. Sanders is also not naive. He says he's deeply offended by Republican efforts to discredit Robert Mueller. But for now, Sanders says he does not agree with the campaign of California billionaire Tom Steyer to impeach Trump, nor does he agree with the articles of impeachment introduced by a handful of Democrats in the House. Still too soon, Sanders says. And as further indication that Republicans are interested in anything other than investigating Trump, the Republican-led House Ethics Committee has cleared House Intelligence Committee Chairman Devin Nunes from allegations he had disclosed classified information. Nunes was so accused after he'd staged a stunt that involved a secret late-night visit to White House grounds where he picked up some documents. The next day, Nunes told reporters on video he was taking those documents to the White House that indicated that President Obama had ordered the wiretapping of Trump Tower during the campaign. They were the same documents Nunes had gotten from the White House the day before that have since been discredited. They did not prove Trump's wiretapping accusation. The exposure of Nunes's stunt led him to recuse himself from his own committee's investigation into Trump Russia. Now that he's been cleared by the Ethics Committee, Nunez is expected to unrecuse himself. Up next, the defeat of Roy Moore, the fading of Trump's clout, the sexual abuse issue, and commentary from Bob Seska after this. As you continue your holiday shopping, just 11 shopping days left, I'm once again asking you to do as much of it as possible through my Amazon link at buzzburbank.com. You land right on your very own Amazon page, and you get the same great prices as always. And if you believe in what we're doing here, it's very important that you go to buzzburbank.com, click on that Amazon link, and bookmark that page to make it one of your favorites. Whether you're already a Prime member or you're shopping Amazon for the first time, using and bookmarking that link delivers a small commission to this podcast. Amazon has nearly everything you need right at your door and in two days or less for Prime members. 
Plus, you get Amazon Prime Video, which comes with the Prime membership, along with music, books, and more. And please, use my Amazon link if you make purchases for your office, school, church, or some other organization. Thank you for doing your holiday shopping through me. And if Amazon's not right for you, you can also support this program by clicking on the PayPal button just below the Amazon button in the upper right corner at buzzburbank.com. Given Trump's policies and his handling of civil rights matters, a couple of African-American lawmakers boycotted his appearance at the new Civil Rights Museum in Jackson, Mississippi over the weekend. Congressman Bernie Thompson and John Lewis, a civil rights leader, announced they would not attend the opening ceremony. Trump had been invited by Mississippi's Republican governor, but quoting a statement from the boycotting congressman, Trump's attendance and his hurtful policies are an insult to the people portrayed in this museum. Thompson and Lewis cited Trump's disparaging comments about women, immigrants, the disabled, and NFL players, and disrespecting the efforts of Mississippians honored in that new museum. Lewis himself is among those honored in the museum. Trump's appearance actually came before the official opening, so Lewis and Thompson did show for the public ceremony once Trump had gone. Trump brought with him for his tour Housing Secretary Ben Carson. There were a hundred protesters outside in the snow. Trump's appearance at the Civil Rights Museum came the day after he had staged another one of his rallies on the Florida side of the Alabama border in the shadow of Mobile. And Alabama is where Roy Moore was running for Senate, despite not only the sex allegations against him, but Moore's own civil rights record in a state that ranks last in the nation in just about everything except poverty. And it was at that rally that Trump, for the first time, fully endorsed Roy Moore for that Alabama Senate seat. As Trump had indicated before, he told the crowd he needed a vote in the Senate that would support his agenda. So get out, he said, and vote for Roy Moore. Trump followed up with robocalls to Alabama voters in a race that was, at that point, too close to call. That prompted robocalls from Barack Obama and Joe Biden on behalf of Democrat Doug Jones. At his rally in Florida, as usual, Trump talked about the news media, immigration, and how poorly Arnold Schwarzenegger did as host of Celebrity Apprentice. The crowd even got to chant, lock her up again, about Hillary Clinton. It happened when Trump, alluding to the Russia investigation, again disparaged American intelligence, using false claims, unsubstantiated claims, and all while making disturbing threats. Look, said Trump, it's been proven we have a rigged system. He called the system sick from the inside. Undermining American institutions, he said, we have a lot of sickness in some of our institutions. Doesn't happen so easy, said Trump, but this system, there'll be a lot of changes. Among the institutions Trump has attacked, the FBI, which is investigating possible collusion. And Trump's latest attack on the American justice system came right after Mike Flynn had flipped for the prosecution. By disparaging institutions, including the FBI, Trump is telling the public that system cannot be trusted to pass judgment on him. Trump also mocked the resistance, saying they only resist the will of the people. Perhaps he's referring to the fewer than one in three people who still support him. Trump also exclaimed as he rode out of sight, Merry Christmas, and told his crowd his massive tax cut would be their present from him. The morning after Roy Moore was defeated, Trump tweeted excuses for that defeat and tried to turn his loss into a victory. 
After backing the wrong horse in two consecutive Alabama elections, Trump wrote, the reason I originally endorsed Luther Strange, and his numbers went up mightily, is that I said Roy Moore will not be able to win the general election. I was right. Roy worked hard, but the deck was stacked against him. In truth, Trump had backed both Luther Strange and Roy Moore, and his man lost each time. It was a stunning victory for Doug Jones and the Democrats, winning the very red state of Alabama, where Democrats had stopped running for public office because they didn't stand a chance in the heart of Trump country. The credit goes to black voters, especially black women, who turned out in record numbers. Overall turnout was four times greater than it has normally been for special elections in Alabama. Republican turnout was light, and combined with Republican write-in votes, those who voted for Doug Jones won the day. And voters in the suburbs helped as well. After overwhelmingly voting for Trump in Alabama in those suburbs, they didn't listen to his instructions to vote for Moore, in spite of Moore's alleged penchant for teenage girls. They listened to the women. The election results in Alabama were similar to what we saw in Virginia and New Jersey last month. Suburbanites turning against Trump and African Americans turning out in greater numbers. Democratic voters are fired up and more attention is being paid to what they might accomplish in the midterms this coming November. Many Republicans blame Steve Bannon and Donald Trump for the loss, backing a candidate who could not win the general election. Bannon had planned to continue backing extremist candidates, the kind who do beat moderate Republicans in primary elections. Bannon had declared war on the mainstream Republicans. But Mitch McConnell has also declared war on Steve Bannon. After what was a stinging defeat for Bannon in Alabama, McConnell appears to hold the upper hand. Bannon had just gifted one of McConnell's seats in the House to the Democrats by running a candidate who could not win. And Republicans in Washington blame Bannon for dragging Trump into that losing race. Bannon and Moore both blame McConnell for withdrawing his support after sex allegations against Moore from nine women. So Republicans remain divided between the mainstream and the extremist. And that will be a problem for Trump, who's already failed to repeal Obamacare by one vote and needed the vice president's tie-breaking vote to pass a draft of the tax bill. With the defeat of Roy Moore, Trump and the Republicans now have just a one-vote lead in the Senate. And with the 2018 midterms on the horizon, Trump and the Republicans have even more reason to worry based on recent election results. So how did the Family Values Republican Party become the party of accused child molester Roy Moore and admitted woman groper Donald Trump? The credit goes almost entirely to Trump, who has literally led by example, elected to promote the conservative agenda despite his accidental confession to grabbing genitals. Trump now is the Republican Party, and the Republican Party is now Trump. Trump was unusually quiet when the accusations against Moore first surfaced, and Trump was even careful not to endorse Moore at first. The Republican National Committee withdrew its support of Roy Moore after allegations he'd targeted teenage girls when he was in his 30s. But the party restored its support of Moore after the head of the RNC met with White House officials. That meeting came just after Trump had learned, without a Republican in Moore's seat, he could lose the vote he needed to push that tax plan over the top. Senate Majority Leader Mitch McConnell had withdrawn his support of Moore when the allegations broke. And three sources privy to the content of a conversation between McConnell and Trump say that Trump reminded Connell of the need to pass the tax bill 
and that because the more allegations came out just before the election, the women should not be believed. Days later, McConnell told reporters that really, the voters of Alabama should decide Moore's fate. And so Roy Moore's candidacy continued because the way had already been lighted by the current president. Fake news, Trump tweeted Tuesday as he accused Democrats from moving on from a failing Russia investigation to what he called false accusations of sexual harassment. Fabricated stories, he wrote, of women who I don't know and or have never met. Fake news with the obligatory all caps and exclamation mark. There are over 20 women who've accused Donald J. Trump of sexual misconduct. Again this week, three of the women came forward to again ask why coming forward the first time didn't stop Trump from being elected. They say it broke their hearts to reveal their personal experiences only to have them ignored on Election Day. Quoting one of Trump's Miss USA contestants, I put myself out there for the entire world and nobody cared. The women are now calling on Congress to investigate their complaints now while the subject is sexual abuse. At any other point in our history, at any other time, a single accusation could disqualify a candidate, never mind the 16 accusers calling out Trump before the election. Now, in the age of Me Too, more Americans are asking, why not Trump? In fact, 70% of registered voters tell Quinnipiac University pollsters they also think that Congress should investigate the sexual harassment charges against Trump. Seven out of ten of us. I'll have more on this story after this week's commentary from Salon.com's Bob Seska. Bob? Thank you, Buzz. Donald Trump is an unrepentant monster. Most normals know it, and we have videotape to prove it. I mean, there's hardcore evidence to prove a wide variety of Trump's misdeeds and atrocious behavior, specifically in terms of his sexual misconduct. There's tape of that, too. I'm not necessarily talking about the rumored P-tape mentioned in the Steele dossier, should it be released, however, and its authenticity verified somehow, we could potentially add it to the list. But the only tape we need in order to freely observe evidence of Trump's sexually predatory behavior is, of course, the Access Hollywood tape. And I'm not just talking about his stomach-churning quote about how he routinely grabs women, quote-unquote, by the pussy, and that because he's a celebrity, he's allowed to do so. That's not the part I'm talking about. Before we get into it, let's recap what happened on Megyn Kelly's Monday morning show. Three women who previously accused Trump of sexual assault and harassment reemerged this week. Samantha Holvey is a former Miss USA contestant who claims Trump deliberately walked into the pageant dressing room and inspected contestants, apparently while they were partly or mostly naked. While appearing on the Howard Stern show, Trump literally confessed to doing this. Jessica Leeds is accusing Trump of groping her genitals while seated together on an airplane. And Rachel Crooks says Trump kissed her without permission during an encounter at Trump Tower. It's worth noting that Trump's own U.N. ambassador and former South Carolina governor Nikki Haley, herself a Republican and Trump loyalist, said they should be heard and they should be dealt with. And I think we heard from them before the election. And I think any woman who has felt violated or felt mistreated in any way, they have every right to speak up. Naturally, the White House emphatically denied the charges. Sarah Huckabee Sanders said during Monday's press briefing, quote, in terms of the specific eyewitness accounts, there have been multiple reports. I'd be happy to provide them to you after the briefing. So the White House is claiming they have witnesses who insist the attacks didn't occur. 
Either they somehow were able to dig up witnesses in the hour or two between the Kelly show and the press briefing, or Sanders is lying. Perhaps the existence of witnesses is about as real as Trump's mysterious team of investigators who went to Hawaii to look into Barack Obama's birth certificate. It's all Trumpian fiction. What's absolutely real, though, is the existence of the Access Hollywood tape, not to mention a videotape of Trump telling a 10-year-old girl he'd be dating her soon. But let's focus on the Billy Bush incident. Here we have Trump talking about how he likes to grab women, again, by the pussy. He also remarks about Access Hollywood co-star Nancy O'Dell's breasts and how he once, quote-unquote, moved on her like a bitch while he was still aboard the bus. Then Trump asks Bush for a tic-tac in case he starts kissing soap opera star Ariane Zucker, who was waiting for Trump and Bush outside in the parking lot. We're all familiar with what Trump says on the tape. These remarks alone ought to justify the accountability being sought by Trump's victims. The act of bragging about assaulting women alone is unforgivable and indicates predatory behavior. When Trump issued a videotape apology, he didn't confess to the actions he mentions on the tape, even though he confessed to the tape being authentic and that he said the things he said. All told, Trump bragged about assaulting women in a favorable sense. He clearly thought it was okay for Bush and Bush's crew to at least think he's done those horrendous things. But it shouldn't matter because what comes next on the tape shouldn't be overlooked. After most news organizations usually cut away from rolling the tape... Trump quite obviously spends a lot of time leering at Zucker's breasts. In addition to being a looky-loo, Trump, after being prompted by Bush, tries to awkwardly hug Zucker, then kisses her on the face, a gesture she doesn't return. This, in effect, verifies his on-the-bus remarks about uncontrollably kissing women without their permission. There are countless other events in which Trump leans in and kisses unsuspecting women on stage and elsewhere. His line on the bus, at least about kissing, is backed up with actual evidence, photographic and otherwise. Any denials along these lines have to be regarded as lies. What we've seen with our own eyes is Trump engaging in the same inappropriate behavior he's been accused of by, at the very least, Rachel Crooks, again, one of the three women to step forward the other morning. Unfortunately, Trump's own words to Bush are so shocking and disturbing, we often overlook how he actually treated Zucker after stepping off the bus. So let's get real. Anyone who's observed Trump in these instances can plainly see evidence leading us to the conclusion that his accusers are on the level and that he did exactly what they're accusing him of. Indeed, the Access Hollywood tape shows us a lot more than his barf-inducing words. And I think we can safely add the apparent existence of eyewitnesses to the ongoing roster of Trump lies. I'm Bob Seska for Buzz Burbank News and Comment. Thanks, Bob. Get more of him at Salon.com and Tuesdays and Thursdays on the Bob Seska Show at RealmNetwork.com. Join me there with him every Tuesday. Trump has denied the accusations, all 20 of them. The White House says the voters heard these accusations before the election and elected Trump anyway. Republican leaders in Congress remain silent. But Trump is also facing a lawsuit from a former apprentice contestant accusing Trump of defaming her by calling the claims by her and others lies and nonsense. But Trump simply couldn't keep quiet, couldn't help but paint himself further into that corner. He tweeted Tuesday a rebuke of Senator Kirsten Gillibrand, who's called on Trump to resign over those sex allegations. Trump referred to her as, quote, someone who would come to my office begging for campaign contributions not so long ago and would do anything for them. Anything, Mr. President? Why, whatever do you mean by that? 
In fact, that's exactly what former Fox News host Gretchen Carlson asked in her tweet that followed. An anchor for BBC's World News America called Trump's tweet clearly sexual and demeaning to women. Gillibrand responded, calling Trump's tweet a sexist smear and labeling him a bully. Senator Gillibrand, a rising star in the Republican Party who says she will not be silenced, also thinks Bill Clinton should have resigned after the Lewinsky allegations. As it struggles with the ghosts of Bill Clinton and Monica Lewinsky, the Democratic Party sacrificing some of its biggest names to distance itself from the party that has embraced the likes of Trump and Roy Moore. And as hard as it was for Democrats to let Al Franken go, it might have been harder to fight to keep him, especially as the party goes after Trump and those like him. Franken stepped aside as a senator, even while insisting some of the allegations against me are simply not true. Franken's been replaced by Minnesota Lieutenant Governor Tina Smith, appointed yesterday by the state's Democratic governor. That Senate seat is up for grabs next year on the heels of Franken, but Smith says she will run as an incumbent. It was, on the subject of sexual harassment, a tough week for Democrats who also lost senior Congressman John Conyers. Also gone but not forgotten is Arizona Congressman Trent Franks, who resigned quickly when it was revealed he'd asked female employees to bear a child for him and his wife. Republican Franks says he and his wife have struggled with infertility, but, but it appears Franks wanted to make the babies the old-fashioned way, no test tubes. Franks originally announced he'd leave the House at the end of January. After these details of the allegations went public, Franks left office that day. In Kentucky, a state lawmaker accused just days ago of molesting a woman when she was 17 has killed himself. Republican State Representative Dan Johnson had referred to himself as the Pope of his church and had denied the accusation. After posting a farewell on Facebook, citing his PTSD, Johnson was found near a bridge where he had delivered a single bullet to his head. In the celebrity world, actress Salma Hayek is the latest to accuse Harvey Weinstein of sexual harassment, saying, I don't think he hated anything more than the word no. He was my monster, she says. Hip-hop mogul Russell Simmons, who was already accused of sexual abuse, is now accused of violent sexual assault by four women. And PBS has dropped Tavis Smiley after what it calls multiple credible sexual harassment allegations against him. Smiley denies it all says the network has refused to tell him the names of the women, and he says this has all gone too far. Chef Mario Batali has stepped away from running his restaurants and from co-hosting a daytime cooking show on ABC called The Chew. Four women say Batali touched them inappropriately. In an uncommon move, Batali admitted he'd done that. He called it wrong, and without excuse, he took full responsibility and added, I am deeply sorry for any pain, humiliation, or discomfort I have caused. There have also been resignations at ESPN. New Yorker magazine has fired one of its writers, who will also no longer appear on CNN. Another NPR host was suspended, while the public radio network investigates 11 accusations against on-point moderator Tom Ashbrook. Elsewhere, judges are falling from the bench after accusations against them, and a few heads have rolled in the financial sector. This week began with yet another Trump policy failing in court. A federal judge in Washington struck down Trump's order to ban transgenders from the military, 
Almost eagerly, just minutes later, the Pentagon announced that recruitment of transgenders would resume on January 1st. The judge ruled that as hard as the military has worked to accommodate transgender recruits, the Trump administration has not made a case for the harm transgenders would supposedly do to the military. Last month, a federal judge in Baltimore put a freeze on Trump's plan to stop medical transition assistance for transgender troops. That case has yet to be heard. In the meantime, the Pentagon's policy of providing that assistance remains in effect. Trump's Justice Department, meanwhile, says it will appeal the overturning of Trump's transgender ban. Trump's also being sued over his slashing of the size of two big national monument parks in Utah. That angered the head of the outdoor goods company, Patagonia, who immediately blackened his company's website Monday with the words, The President Stole Your Land. Patagonia has also joined with conservationists in a lawsuit against Trump and Interior Secretary Ryan Zinke for cutting the Grand Staircase Monument in half and slashing Bears Ears by 85%. For the first time this year, the House has passed a major piece of gun legislation. It allows people with concealed carry permits in one state to be covered by that state's laws and not by the laws of some other state they may be visiting. The bill allows concealed weapons to be carried across state lines, even into states that have stricter gun laws. For the visiting gunman, the local laws do not apply. The laws in his home state of, say, Wyoming, supersede the local laws where you live. The governor of Massachusetts says the now-passed House bill, quote, makes it easier for people to bring guns into our schools, churches, and communities. Sandy Hook was five years ago today. The bill just passed by the House had the support of the NRA. On the subject of world peace, Secretary of State Rex Tillerson, so far without interference from Trump, says the U.S. is ready to sit down with North Korea for talks. No preconditions, says Tillerson. The subject, he said, could even be about having the talks or the shape of the table. We can talk about the weather if you want, said Tillerson. It's the moment Kim Jong-un has awaited to get him the world recognition he so desperately seeks, confirmation that his tiny country is a major nuclear power. For years, the U.S. has refused to meet with North Korean officials until they at least paused their nuclear weapons program. North Korea never did that, so now Kim no doubt feels it is the weapons he's developed that have brought the U.S. to the bargaining table. The day before Tillerson's offer, a top North Korean diplomat was reported as saying that a dialogue between his country and the U.S. is possible under the right conditions. South Korea has endorsed the talks. As both sides continue to rattle sabers with statements and military exercises. Stay tuned. Less comforting, perhaps, is word from the Kremlin that Vladimir Putin gets updates on Trump's tweets and that Putin views those tweets as official statements from the President of the United States. That presumption had already been confirmed by the White House. And a new study says EMTs in the U.S. emergency medical workers are not prepared for a nuclear attack and that they might not be willing to work outdoors after an attack because, like the public, they are misinformed about radiation. Experts say the most likely injuries after a nuclear attack are lacerations, not burns. 
in South Carolina this past week, a white former police officer was sentenced to nearly 24 years in federal prison after being found guilty of second-degree murder in a death two years ago. The death was that of unarmed motorist Walter Scott, who was shot eight times by then-officer Michael Slager as Scott ran away from a traffic stop about a broken taillight. Walter Scott was black. Michael Slager is white. Outrage about the case spread across the nation, a case that has now ended. The judge ruled the shooting was unwarranted. Walter Scott's mother, Judy, forgives, saying, Forgiveness is in my heart. I pray for you that you would repent. When Trump visited Puerto Rico on October 3rd of this year, the death toll went up. The official death toll rose only a bit since that visit to a total of 64 people. But the people who operate the morgues in that U.S. territory count as many as 1,052 deaths from the storm, half of them after Trump's visit. Quoting one demographer, Before the hurricane, I had an average of 82 deaths a day. Now, I have an average of 118 a day. A lot of the reporting that would reveal these more accurate numbers has been delayed because Puerto Rico's power grid continues to operate at less than 70% of its capacity these months later after the storm with large parts of the island still in the dark. And it's been more than two months since Trump's visit in which he told Puerto Ricans they could be proud of the fact that only 16 people had died when the actual number was 556 people and now over 1,000. Still, said Trump, 16 people versus in the thousands, you can be very proud, he said. Robots replacing humans, the man flu and over-the-counter Viagra, the Christmas files, and does this cow look sexy? In the third and final segment, up next, there's probably someone you'd like to see over the holidays, but it's just not in the cards this year. That someone is special, and a card just wouldn't be enough. So do this. Go to proflowers.com and send something that expresses your feelings the way a gift card can't. ProFlowers always sends the most amazing arrangements. And when I give ProFlowers, that special someone is always impressed. Imagine their surprise when candy cane roses arrive, perfect for the holidays and December birthdays. Or a miniature Christmas tree with lights and ornaments. There are lots of choices. And no matter which ones you select for $29 or more, you get 20% off because you listen to Buzz Burbank News and Comment. Pro Flowers bouquets are guaranteed to stay fresh for at least seven days or your money back. And as always, you pick the delivery date. Again, get 20% off all bouquets of $29 or more when you go to proflowers.com and use the code REALM at checkout. That's R-E-L-M in the discount code box when you check out at proflowers.com. Thanks also for supporting this show through my PayPal donate button at buzzburbank.com. There is also news about jobs this week that's a little less rosy than what you heard earlier about where we are now. General Electric has announced that it's eliminating 12,000 jobs from its power division as it restructures to increase profits. Those 12,000 jobs represent about a third of GE's total workforce, gone now to cut $3.5 billion in annual expenses. GE's power division is not faring well, as the world weans itself off gas and coal. And two weeks ago, I reported on a new semi-truck from Tesla that'll go from zero to 60 in under five seconds. Well, Anheuser-Busch has just ordered 40 of them, and the trucks are also, for the most part, self-driving. 
The brewery says it's buying the trucks to reduce its carbon footprint, but the new technology may also lead to that company and others to reducing the number of drivers, eliminating more jobs. And just in time for the sexual harassment scandals, Viagra is now sold over the counter. What could possibly go wrong? Pfizer started selling generic sildenafil Monday for half the price of the name brand version. And by next year, the prices are expected to go even lower. The generic pills are white compared to Viagra's blue and are made by the Pfizer subsidiary Greenstone. Pfizer will also be offering home delivery of the original blue at the same price as the generic. And the six-pill limit has been eliminated. There's also an over-the-counter version of Viagra from Teva Pharmaceuticals now. Viagra was developed in the late 1990s in the search for a drug to treat the heart condition known as angina. Studies revealed it caused men to get and maintain erections and quickly became a treatment for erectile dysfunction and, for some, a recreational drug. Viagra goes on sale over-the-counter in Britain next spring. It's already available here. For men with ED, generic over-the-counter Viagra means competition and lower prices, allowing those men to maintain their budgets along with their erections. Another note about flu season, a new study shows men have weaker immune systems than women, making the man flu a real thing. Men don't just complain more. The study says they are, in fact, sicker than women who have the flu. Another study, by the way, says women are genetically more fit than men. More than a dozen American scientists will be moving to France so they can continue their work on climate change without political interference here in the United States. French President Emmanuel Macron has awarded the scientists million-dollar grants. He's paying them to move to France for a while to work on his climate research project, the one he started when Trump pulled the U.S. out of the Paris Climate Accord. And as another poke at Trump, Macron is calling his project Make Our Planet Great Again. At the age of six, Ryan can retire soon. Ryan, at the age of six, made $11 million in just one year with his own YouTube channel, Ryan Toys Review. Millions of children around the world tune in to get Ryan's take on the latest toys on a program he's been hosting since he was three. Ryan's inspired other young entrepreneurs to star in their own YouTube channels, but none have so far matched Ryan's success. Most of Ryan's viewers see him as their friend after watching sometimes for hours every day. Ryan has over 10 million subscribers and now makes well over a million dollars a year. You and I got into the wrong professions. Bon Jovi and Nina Simone lead this year's Rock and Roll Hall of Fame inductees, along with The Cars, Dire Straits, and finally, The Moody Blues. The TV and movie award season is also taking shape with The Shape of Water getting the most attention. The Golden Globes competition is led by that film with its seven nominations. But The Post, three billboards outside Ebbing, Missouri, each have six nominations. The Shape of Water also leads the Critics' Choice nods with 14 nominations. The Post, Three Billboards, Get Out, and I, Tanya were also critics' favorites. The Golden Globes and the American Film Institute agree, but AFI also added Blade Runner 2049 and Wonder Woman to its movie list. 
Critics also like the TV shows Fargo, Big Little Lies, and Glow, but also Feud, Betty and Joan, which leads with six nominations. Also up for Critics' Awards, This Is Us, Blackish, Game of Thrones, The Handmaid's Tale, Wizard of Lies, and The Good Fight. The Screen Actors Guild nominees also include The Shape of Water and Three Billboards Outside Ebbing. Stranger Things and This Is Us were among SAG's TV nominees. The winners of these awards will be revealed in the first of the awards show that lead up to the Oscars starting early next month. Titanic, Die Hard, La Bamba, The Goonies, and Guess Who's Coming to Dinner are among this year's additions to the Library of Congress's National Film Registry. Also on this year's list, Field of Dreams, Superman, and Spartacus. Disney is buying most of Rupert Murdoch's Fox empire, buying his TV and movie division, 20th First Century Fox, for more than $52 billion. That leaves Murdoch with Fox News Channel and its related networks, and frees Murdoch to buy up local TV stations in much the same way as the growing conservative network known as Sinclair Broadcasting. As they prepare for the holiday releases, the big studios haven't released a single movie in the past few weeks. So no movie hit the magical $20 million mark over the weekend, but Coco remained number one. And now from the Hollywood Files to the Holiday Files. If young children are present, you may want to hit pause. This is about a secret between parents and Santa Claus, or St. Nicholas, as he's been known around the world for centuries. St. Nick is the inspiration, at least, for Santa. He was one of the first and one of the most famous and one of the most beloved of the Christian saints. If he truly existed, he died in the year 343 A.D., and was buried in a crypt beneath the Basilica of St. Nicholas in southern Italy, eventually. Now Oxford scientists say St. Nick may have been a real person and that they may have found the bones of St. Nick. Several churches in the area have found remains they had claimed were his, but the samples never quite matched the timeline in carbon dating tests. But one set of bones did match the timeline. And then... Scientists knew in a moment it must be St. Nick. The science is not exact, so they can't be certain. Either way, the spirit of St. Nicholas, Santa Claus, lives on. And that much we can tell the kids. And strange but true, a family in Plymouth, England, swears it has been using the same string of Christmas tree lights every year for 48 years and never replaced a single bulb the fairy lights, as they're called, were purchased in 1969 at a Woolworths store. A Texas man's heart must have grown three sizes the day he returned a Christmas tree he'd stolen from the Whataburger in Seguin, Texas. The security video made it to the TV news, and the man went to police headquarters where, after seeing the spirit of Christmas in police officers, he agreed to do some community service. The envelope bore a likeness of a famous red-nosed reindeer. The letter inside began, Dear Santa, how are you? I've been a good girl. The envelope had fallen out of a wall as a Pennsylvania couple ripped out some kitchen cabinets while remodeling what would be their new home. The letter was signed Susan Kleiss, so the couple took to Facebook to see if they could find Susan or her family since Susan wrote that letter 60 years ago in 1956. 
She is now Susan Krieger, but it made her tear up to see that letter because she remembers her late mother writing it on her behalf. The couple that found the letter say they hope it gave Susan a nice reminder of her mom at Christmas. Quoting one, everyone hopes they find money in the wall, but I think this was a little more special. If you can make it to L.A. before February 4th, you can see for yourself the Museum of Failure. It's a temporary exhibit at the city's Architecture and Design Museum, and it features the Apple Newton message pad and the coffee-flavored Coca-Cola Black. An all-plastic bicycle from Volvo is on display, along with a Wi-Fi-connected juicer. Frozen dinners by toothpaste maker Colgate just never sold. There's a DeLorean DMC-12 and a hundred other things, including a booth to confess your own failures. But the Failure Museum's curator says, I want people to leave not being so fearful of effing up. And from the home office in Central Florida comes Alligator Man. It started with the posting of a video, as so many stories these days do. In his videos, Jordan Bedford identified himself as Alligator Man as he walked a small gator on a leash. The caption read, Only person I know to walk an alligator on a leash. Florida wildlife officials were immediately on the case. In the Sunshine State, you have to have a permit to keep a gator. And although it won't stop the investigation, Bedford says it was all just a joke, that he found the gator while he was fishing and that its mouth was already taped shut. I don't have an alligator, Bedford confessed in a subsequent video, adding, I found it and played with it. I seen it while I was fishing one day and it was wrapped up, so I played with it. Okay, your honest opinion. Is this cow too sexy? A new ice cream shop in Montclair, New Jersey has come under fire for using as its logo a cartoon cow with bedroom eyes and blonde pigtails proudly presenting her very human-looking buttocks tail in the air. Dairy Air is the name of the shop. The Dairy Air Ice Cream Company has that logo on its cups and its furniture and its walls and, of course, on the sign outside. Two local businesswomen called on the shop to ditch that logo as offensive and as a message that women are for sex. In an open letter, they add, this kind of marketing is the reason we currently have a sexual predator in the White House. This is offensive, they wrote, not just to women, but to husbands, brothers, and the fathers who try to raise strong women. We have heard the complaints, says Derriere, adding, we are acting to change the cow to be more fun and less sexy. Our goal, says the manager, was always fun. And finally, there's drinking and driving and also driving on drink. A week ago this morning, a semi overturned on I-95 between Philadelphia and Bucks County. It took work crews nearly 10 hours to clean up the mess because the truck had spilled its load of vodka. Tito's vodka. You should not cry over spilled milk. This, however... I'm Buzz Burbank. Thanks for listening and for supporting the shows and sponsors at buzzburbank.com. Join me each Thursday for Buzz Burbank News and Comments. The preceding presentation was brought to you by The Realm Network.